What's happening, Riv? My name is Noel, one of the pastors here, and we are doing something unusual today. In fact, it's something that I'm not certain we have ever done in my 30-ish years uh, here at Riv, at least not that I've paid attention to, and that is that we are going to start a series going through a book of the Bible that we just covered four years ago. And the reason that's so unusual is we like to teach from kind of all the Bible. We like to kind of jump around the Bible, hit different Old Testament book, New Testament book, different types. Uh, and we try not to repeat ourselves uh, really that frequently. But what happened is we were sitting down with a group of leaders in our church, about a dozen leaders, and we were talking about things that were happening in our community, in our cultural moment. And as we talked about these things, people wrestling with belief and doubt. Uh, people trying to figure out how to be a Christian in a digital age. When we, we talked about things like um, all these different sorts of things, these, these, these different repeated issues, we realized that all of them were addressed in one way or another in the book of Colossians. We also figured the world is slightly different than it was in 2019, right? <laughs> a few things have happened in that four years. And what this does is it raises a really, really important important principle when reading the Bible. And that is that we like to call reading the Bible normally. And what we mean by that is when you read a section of the Bible, you just got to let it be what it is, right? So if you're reading poetry, let it be poetry. If you're reading history, let it be history. If you're reading prophecy, let it be prophecy. Don't try to read your idea into that text. And that means that when you're reading the Bible, the meaning of it doesn't change, which means a lot of this series is going to be a repeat of our series from four years ago. In fact, we even threw in the back some study guides from our last series, and you're going to have some content. You can grab that on your way out if you want it. And the meaning is going to be the same. But another really important principle in the Bible is although there is a meaning in the text and, and it is a normal meaning, the application in our lives is, is infinite. The, the, the scripture, every bit of it, be it prophecy or poetry or history it, it impacts every nuance of our lives. It applies to every culture with profound clarity. It exposes our idols. It calls out our sin. It points us to Jesus. Uh, and it does it in unique ways in the context that we're living in in that moment. And so we're back in Colossians. And actually, the last time we did Colossians, we slow walked through it, and we're going to slow walk through it uh, again. And, and, and that's why we're going to be in this book. And so our theme verse or verses for this series are kind of right in the middle. Um, it's in chapter three, and so I just want to challenge you over the course of the series, memorize these three verses. It's 15 weeks, and it's three verses. You can do it, okay? I don't even have memorized yet, so I'm gonna read it. Here it is, Colossians three, verses one through three. It says, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I'm not going to fully cover those verses, and we're going to do that in June, um, but since this is our anchor text, I just, I want to hit it for a second because we're going to reference this often. This passage is why we're calling this series, If Then. 
This entire letter of, of Colossians is one big if-then statement with all kinds of tiny little if-then statements scattered throughout it. If you have been raised with Christ, and what that means is you're a Christian. If you've placed your faith in Jesus and he has saved you, that means you are already raised with him. You are hidden with him, in, in, with Christ, at the right hand of God the Father. That's where you already are. So if that is true of you, then your perspective should change on everything. You shouldn't seek the things that are here on earth. It's time for you to lift your eyes up. It's time to lift your eyes to where Jesus is, to where you're seated with him in glory. Instead of setting your mind here on earth, it's time to set your mind on Jesus. Because if you are a Christian, you're dead. <laughs> the old you has died. When you became a Christian, your old self died, and now you are truly alive, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And that means every single bit of your life should change. How you wrestle with doubt and belief should change. How you approach being a Christian in a digital age should change. Where you find your hope in this world should change. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to start out right at the beginning, and we're going to start our slow walk, and we're going to cover eight verses. And I think eight verses might be the longest chunk that we're going to take. It's seven or eight verses somewhere as we slow walk our way through. So we're going to look at these eight verses and we're going to see this if-then statement at play right away, even in the introduction to this book. So would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do pray uh, that we would be people that would lift our eyes up from the earthly things to the heavenly. Uh, help us to remember that we are seated uh, in heaven with Jesus, that we are hidden in Christ with God and, and help our perspective to change. I just pray that over the course of this next 14 or 15 weeks, however long it is, uh, that just you would radically change our perspective. Just change our focus on everything and, and transform us from the inside out. Uh, we pray this in, in Jesus's precious and saving and preeminent name, amen. So I have a love-hate relationship with email. It's, it's probably an exaggeration. I have a barely tolerate hate relationship with email, right? Like, like email is great. I mean, it has changed things for us. It, it is great. Um, I, like, and sometimes, like, I get really frustrated. If I'm in a meeting, there should be an email, right? I, I, so email has, is wonderful. It's super convenient and all that. It, it, it's marginally better than talking on the phone, so there's that. But sometimes the volume of email, and I mean that in every definition of volume, so you're good, just think about that when you get home. Um, the volume of email can be overwhelming. And so what I do is I do not have notifications on my phone for almost anything, and especially not email. So what happens is by the time I actually get to around to opening up, there's always a list. Now, I'm also one of those people who's committed to the, the inbox zero thing. You know what that is? The idea is when you get into your email, you should get it down to zero. Like, I'm not like you crazy people who have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of unread messages in your inbox. You're a terrible person. No, we're all terrible people. You're especially terrible. Uh, but uh, you know what I mean? So, so, so what I do is to process tons of emails quickly, I scan the head, headers like all of us do. Who wrote it to me? What do they want to talk about it? Who wrote it to me? What do they want to talk about it? And I go, check, 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 archive, right? And so what happens is, I, I use archive, by the way, in case I accidentally delete something I was supposed to read, right? But every once in a while, I'm doing my check, 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 check thing, and I hit a, a, an email that has come from somebody like, I'm, oh man, I want to read that one. Or maybe, oh man, I can't believe that person's emailing me. I really want to read that. I think that's actually the tone of the very first line in Colossians for a very specific reason. Let's look at this. Colossians 1.1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will. 
Now, when the Colossians got this email, and it was not an email, but when they got this letter to them, they must have been like, no way. Like Paul's writing to us, like, like not only Paul, this is the apostle, right? The, the, the big A apostle guy, right? This is the apostle Paul. Why would that have been such a big deal? Well, Paul was a pretty big deal in the early church. He was a guy who persecuted Christians until Jesus appeared to him in a blinding light on the street and told him to knock it off. And the fact that Jesus did that is actually, that encounter with Jesus is why he got to say that he was an apostle. Because an apostle is somebody who sees Jesus Jesus face to face and gets their marching orders directly from him. That means there were the 12 apostles, also called disciples, minus Judas, because he betrayed Jesus, plus Matthias, who got voted in, and then Paul, who saw Jesus face to face. That's it. Those are the apostles. That's all the apostles in the Bible. And so this guy, Paul, is writing to the Colossians. And I think they're shocked. I'll get to that in a second. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. Now, what you're going to see in Colossians is the word I shows up a lot. The word we shows up a lot. When you see the word I, it's Paul. When you see the word we, it's Paul and Timothy most of the time. Okay, so that's what you're going to see. And why is this? Well, there's this guy named Tim, Timothy, who is hanging out with Paul. And there, he, he's included in the letter for probably a couple of reasons. We can't know exactly for sure. Probably he was with Paul when Paul was writing it. It's possible he was functioning as Paul's scribe because we think that Paul probably had an eye issue that we see that may have come from the blinding light with Jesus on the street. We don't know, but we know that he had some kind of eye issue. Uh, we, uh, it's also possible that, that Paul said to Timothy what he wanted to write, and Timothy wrote it, and then Paul just edited it to get the form that we have today. What we can know is that the two of them were together, but when you see the authorship of this book, it is Paul with Timothy with him. Now, I want to stop there for a second and point out something super obvious, so obvious we may have missed it. Tim, Timothy, was with Paul. Why does that matter? Well, Paul was a kind of a serial church planter. He planted, depending on how you count, somewhere between 14 and 20 churches that we are aware of in three church planting waves. People like to call them his missionary journey. I like to call them his church planting waves. So he had these three waves of church planting around the Roman Empire. And during the second wave of church planting, he was in a city called Lystra. And he met this young guy named Tim who had a solid relationship with the Lord that had come from his mom and his grandma. And Timothy ended up going along with Tim. And eventually, Paul, or with Paul, and eventually Paul dropped him off in Ephesus where he had planted a church and left him there as the pastor of that church. Now, Paul's jam was to do this thing that he encouraged other people to do, and that is grab somebody that is younger than you and teach them to do what you do, and then send them off to do the thing that you do. Like Paul just, this is what he encourages. And it's why even at Riv, which what we try to do. We have an intern program. We have a residency. It's, we give young leaders the platform, and sometimes they kill it, and sometimes they don't. You know, it's funny, Paul, uh, or Steve Summerlot is one of the pastors at Riv, been around here for 46 years, one of the original plant team guys. Uh, and he often will talk about the insane things that they couldn't believe that I was doing when I was a young leader and they were letting me lead. In fact, in a recent meeting, he said, and I quote, we didn't know what the heck Noel was doing. <laughs> and that's what we do. 
We empower youngers to lead. We let them lead. And sometimes it's insane. And sometimes we don't know what the heck they're doing. And I would never have it any other way. Because that's a good thing. That's how you, you train up leaders. And so Paul and Tim are together. And they're writing this letter. Let's look at verse two. To the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So Paul is writing to the saints. And the saints is another way of saying Christians. So you, if you're a follower of Christ, congratulations, you are a saint, right? And so he's writing to the saints, these Christian brothers and sisters, these faithful brothers and sisters in the city called Colossae. Where's Colossae? Well, it's actually pretty cool. It's right there. See? Isn't that cool? So you probably recognize this thing right here, right? This, this thing, Italy, over here. Well, Colossae is over here. And about 400 years before the time of Christ, they were kind of a big deal. This was a happening place. It was a, a place of commerce because they had this really cool red wool. It was kind of like this gnarly red wool that everybody wanted. And they were on kind of this, this important trade route right here. And so it was, it was really an important city, about 400 years before the time of Christ. Um, it was also a really diverse city because people would kind of move in and out. And in 213 B, see, the Roman Empire did what I call like an early version of desegregation busing. Uh, what he did is he took 2,000 Jewish families and dropped them into Colossae to diversify the city. So it was a diverse city. It was an intentionally diverse city. It was on these trade routes. But by the time Paul wrote this letter, 400 years later, Colossae had lost almost all of its prominence. You could call Colossae a has-been city. One of the reasons is there have been several earthquakes it just kept hitting the area and, and doing tons of damage. In fact, a little bit of time after Paul wrote this letter, the entire valley down there was devastated by an earthquake, and it probably ended the occupation of the city right after Paul wrote this letter. You know, I think that's significant. If you were to go to Colossae today, you know what you would see? Nothing. There are a few spots where the soil is kind of eroded. You can see the city kind of peeking through. No one has fully excavated it yet, which is so weird. I mean, it's a biblical city. This book of the Bible is written to it. But you know what people say about Colossae back then and today? Eh. <laughs> Who cares? And that's why I love Colossae. Because when I travel, and I travel a fair about, and I tell people I'm from Lansing, they're like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I love Lansing, but they're like, that's neat. You live in Lansing, right? They don't care about our city. But God does. And the Apostle Paul did. And the Apostle Paul loved the city so much that he wrote them this letter, and they must have gotten the letter and gone, no way. Paul is writing to us because with all the church planting that Paul did, he didn't plant this church. In fact, there's no evidence that Paul ever even visited them. But he'd heard about them. And he'd heard about some false teachings that had kind of been weaseling their way into the church. And so he writes this letter to handle some of that. And he actually kind of hits on the false teaching a little bit in this letter, but he never tells us quite what the false teaching is. Instead, he does something really cool. Instead of addressing the false teaching, he just points at Jesus. He just points at Jesus. He points at Jesus. He points at Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you. I love this little verse for so many reasons. First, it shows us that Paul and Timothy, as busy as they were, they didn't neglect prayer. Prayer was at the core of their ministry, and so often it's so easy for prayer to be an afterthought, but Paul's clear. He's like, guys, we're praying for you. 
And here's the thing that keeps striking me. Paul only knew them from reputation. (laughs) They were in a declining, largely irrelevant city, but he loved them and he was praying for them and, and he reflected God's heart in that way. You know, I'm a little spoiled in my job here at Riv. I'm a lot spoiled in my job here at Riv. I just love this job. Um, And one of the ways is I've been blessed is I get to spend a big chunk of my time doing what we call greater body of Christ work, which means that I get to do stuff outside of Riv. I get to go uh, bless the greater body of Christ and and do things like that. So what that means is I I travel a fair amount um, and I get to see uh, church plants face to face. I get to help churches get planted in in different places around Michigan and the Midwest of the world. I get to encourage pastors. I get to write and teach and see what God is doing. And I just want to tell you a couple stories. Last year, I got to visit a church in northern Brazil in a people group called the Quilombo. And the Quilombo are a people group that were descended from the African slave trade. And what happened is um, when the African slave trade began to break down, they, they, they settled in northern Brazil and set up uh, homes and communities and villages that are very much like where they came from in, in Africa. And so, so I got a chance to go there because there's very few churches in that area. And we got to meet a church planter that was jumping around from city to city, planting in all of these areas, these new churches. And in one of these villages that I was in, I heard the story of an abusive spiritual leader. He was an old school. The word that they used to translate him to, to me was witch doctor. But this guy had his thumb on that whole community. And what he would do is as soon as every young man became of puberty age, he would make them live with him and he would abuse them for a year. And so every man in that community had been abused by this same guy. And so because of that, it was just, it, it was, became a dark place. And a lot of the men ran to drugs and gang activity, and it became a center for drug trafficking all around that community. And one day, a church planner showed up in that area trying to tell people about Jesus and, and went to meet in the home of one of these drug dealers and his family, his extended family all lived together. But the drug dealer wanted nothing to do with this guy. And so he went to the other room. But what he did is night after night after night, as the church planner would sit in their home and share the gospel with them, he would sit on the other side of the curtain, just listening through the curtain. And then one day, the church planner's talking about Jesus, and he just burst through the curtain. (laughs) And he said, wait, so if I believe everything that you've been saying, does that mean I'm a Christian? (laughs) And the church planner was like, yeah. And he goes, well, I guess I'm a Christian then. And from there, that little community has this burgeoning church with all these people coming to Christ. This area that used to be under the thumb of an abusive leader, overrun by gangs and drugs, is now filled with Christians sharing the hope of Jesus with not only their village, but the villages that surround it. You don't know that. Go ahead, you can clap for that. That's cool enough, right? Now, here's the thing. You're probably never gonna go there. But now you know their reputation. When you think of Brazil, would you pray for them? I'll tell you one more story. Just a couple weeks ago, I I got to go to a city called Milton Keynes in the United Kingdom. And Milton Keynes is a city that is patterned after American cities. It's actually the only city, it is the first city in the UK that was patterned after our road patterns, tried to build some stuff kind of like how we do things. And I got to visit a new church plant there in Milton Keynes. And this church plant is really unique because it is a homeless church plant. 
Not that the church itself is homeless, but they're reaching the homeless. And most of their leaders and most of their congregants are either currently or recently homeless. The church meets in a rented room in the middle of a parking garage. So in the middle of the parking garage, there's this little area, and they have this rented room in the center. And we sat there, and we ate uh, chili and baked potatoes, and my chair had a broken leg, and I kept falling onto this guy, but he was cool, because this guy next to me uh, just had a, a stroke, and, and he was an immigrant in their culture, and so he was having a hard time with some healthcare issues, and so everybody there kind of pitched in and helped, and they found him a lawyer, and they got him their version of a green card so that he could get healthcare, and so that he could be taken care care of. And, and right there, we got to pray, and we got to worship, and we got to share stories of what God is doing in our lives. And you will probably never go to that homeless church. But you now know them by reputation. When you think of the UK, would you pray for them? And when you pray, pray for the same reason the Apostle Paul did. It's verse 4. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. This is my experience as I've traveled the world. I've seen firsthand so many people who love Jesus. They have their faith in Jesus and they love the saints. I've got all kinds of friends. We often text each other on Sunday mornings. I text the pastors every Sunday morning. And sometimes we have to text with each other in um, Google Translate because we don't speak the same language, right? And one day in glory, we won't have to do that and it'll be cool. But we have a common faith and a common love for one another. And Paul says, there's a place where this faith and love come from. It's actually the first if-then statement, although it doesn't use those words, in Colossians, in this letter. Let's back up and run at it for context. He says, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. That's a long chunk, but let's work it backward. <laughs> it starts with the gospel. Now, the gospel is a word we throw around a lot. Uh, We know that it means good news, but what really is the gospel? Well, this is my best stab at a definition of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God sets sinners free through the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. That's it. The gospel is simple. We are enslaved, and Jesus sets us free. Now, you may not be a Quilombo drug dealer, or an immigrant in the UK who just had a stroke, but you have stuff going on in your life. You have sin in your life. You have sinned, and people have sinned against you, and we live in a world steeped with sin, and you need to be rescued. And this is the message of the gospel, that we are all in chains, and Jesus sets us free. All we need to do is believe this good news, believe this gospel, believe what the apostle Paul calls the word of truth. There is no truer truth than Jesus. And if we place our faith in Jesus to set us free, we have hope. I love the imagery Paul gives us. He says, if you've trusted in Jesus, that hope is reserved for you in heaven. It's kind of like your hope is on a layaway plan that you don't have to pay for, right? It's actually not that because you don't have to make any payments. No one's making any payments. Jesus already made the payment. It's kind of like Jesus has already pre-ordered the video game that you want. And as soon as it's available, it's going to drop on your machine. That's what's happening, right? And it'll be available that day. The, uh, the nerds are all like, yes, I'm with you. Yes. The gamers are like, finally, an illustration I can understand, right? And, and so here, here's the deal. When you die that day, when you cross over to glory, you are going to have this thing reserved for you in heaven already. Jesus has paid the price for your sin. 
There's a place for you that's reserved. And Paul says, there is a change that comes from this reality. It's a love that you have for all the saints. I'll tell you, one thing that is really bugging me right now in our cultural moment is the way Christians treat other Christians. We just pile on, don't we? We pile on, we accentuate our differences, we post stupid stuff online, right? And, 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 we, and, and, and we say dumb things like, if your church, you know, insert your pet theological issue here, believes this or doesn't believe this or does this or doesn't do this, you better find another church. Like, it's just like a trope. We, we snipe at each other like cowards instead of building friendships with Christians who are different from us and learning from them. I was having dinner with a friend of mine from Australia and we are wildly different theologically and he gave me one of the greatest compliments and because I'm a Midwesterner, I almost don't want to tell you the compliment because that feels like I'm bragging so please bear with me, this is hurting my soul. <laughs> but he said, he said, Noel, you are so committed to Jesus that you don't let differences between us derail you from your mission. Man, I hope he's right about that. And I hope that's who we are. I mean, one of the key things that should change in all of us is when we've placed our hope in Jesus, we should begin to love other Christians more. That's what he says. It's a love for the saints. And not just the saints, how many of them? All of them. We as Christians should love other Christians. It, it, Jesus said, this is how they will know you are my followers, your love for one another. That should be on the top of our list. That's why at RIV we say we want to invite people to love like Jesus, right? This is why we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him because we want to love the way Jesus loved. Let's back up and run at it again. He says, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and truly came to appreciate God's grace. This is such a significant passage because he just shows us a gospel perspective. The reason these, Christian, these Colossians had faith, the reason they had hope, the reason that they were able to love other Christians is because of the gospel. And the gospel didn't just magically appear. Do you see that? It is the gospel that has come to you. Someone picked up the gospel and brought it to the Colossians and gave it to them. I'm not sure if you've seen the trailer for, I haven't seen the movie yet, I've just seen the trailer, for this movie, Jesus Revolution. That, yeah, okay, I haven't seen the movie yet, so don't spoil it, even though it's a true story, so I know the story, but still don't spoil it. Um, but it's about the Jesus, just at least go watch the trailer when you get home. The, the, it's about how the Jesus movement in the 70s swept our nation. And what the church had to deal with was a rapidly changing culture and how to present the gospel in that rapidly changing culture. And you may or may not know this, but Riverview is part of that downline. Because the church was, was just radically changed in the 70s, there were this wave hit the country and we were planted 12 years uh, by, by 12 people 46 years ago who came to, uh, from Iowa to Michigan, had never stepped foot in this, this state before to bring the gospel to Lansing. And now you're here. And I've been just thinking about how we need another Jesus revolution. And what that means is our church is not going to look the same because it cannot look the same because our culture is changing. 
You may remember that last year we did a series called Entrust and we asked everybody three questions. And those three questions are basically just built to say, how are we gonna build the the ecosystem here so that good things can run wild in our church? (laughs) The first question we asked is, would you join a RIV community? And these were these brand new things that we started last year, groups of 20 to 40 people that get together to just kind of do Jesus. You just get to know Jesus and, and, and share the gospel. They, they, they hang out in homes and, and parks and other spaces and they, and they talk about Jesus. They live out the gospel together. They live mission on the community. We now have 16 Rift communities around the Lansing area with nearly, I think it's like 600 people. It's either 600 or 800. James and the can yell at me. 600 uh, people, thank you, um, involved in them. And, and here's the deal. If you're not in one of them, I encourage you to jump in because they're all wildly different from one another and that's how it should be. They're all amazing kind of in their own ways. We asked the question last year, where do you plan on being present missionally? In other words, uh, where are you gonna intentionally enter spaces in the name of Jesus as his representative? And we've watched this kind of happen uh, both intentionally and organically uh, since last fall. Like things like when the shooting happened on campus, uh, people from our church family went to campus and, and basically told students, hey, if you need a place to live, I got you. We had people who went onto campus and offered free coffee to students and a person to talk to when they came back to campus in case they needed those things. They're like, where are we going to be? We should be actively thinking all the time, where am I gonna live on mission in my community? Where am I gonna be present so that I can talk to people about Jesus when those opportunities pop up? And we asked, what do you plan on giving? And we asked that not just because ministry costs money and free coffee isn't actually free and church planning costs money. We ask that because a consistent theme in scripture is how we treat our money as a barometer of our faith. It's one of the reasons that as a church, we give away 10% of our money. It's actually, it works out with some things to even a little bit more of that, but we give away 10% specifically to to target church planting uh, around the world. We're also giving our RIV communities the ability to apply for missional grants so that they can take some of our cash and go out and do some things in the community to share the gospel with people. We just had our first grant go out just recently to a RIV community. I just think about all that because what Paul declared to the Colossians is still true today. He says the gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. I can just tell you from my perspective, I have seen it. I've seen it in Africa, I've seen it in East Asia, I've seen it in Brazil, I've seen it in Europe, and I've seen it right here in Michigan. In fact, you may not know this, we have a grandbaby church that is one week old. But yeah, oh, everyone say, oh, yes, yes, just clap for the Grand Baby Church, right? But we have, we planted a church in Clio, Michigan that planted a church in Flint last Sunday. So check this out. Small town, rural community, north of Flint, plants a church where? The heart of Flint. Very different communities because they are reaching people for Jesus. It's seven days old. So pray for them when you think of the church in Flint. So, so many people right now want to say that the church is dying But Jesus has promised he would build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Case in point, last weekend we had 62 baptisms at Riverview. 62. 
And that is just a small scratch of what Jesus is doing through his church around the world. We're part of a network of churches. If you want to learn more about them, we've got some uh, flyers in the back. You can grab at the info center if you, if you care to do that. But what we're doing with our network of churches is this weekend, we're all talking about church planting a little bit in the service at the same time. And so I want to show you guys a video that shares some of the stories of what's happening in our sister churches around the world today. So check this out. There are almost 8 billion people in the world today, and only one-third would call themselves Christians. That means more than 5 billion people don't know Jesus and are in need of salvation through faith in Christ. In Matthew 28, Jesus commissioned his followers to take the gospel to those who don't know him in all nations. At Acts 29, we believe that to be passionate about this great commission is to be passionate about church planting, which is why we plant churches worldwide. My neighborhood here in St. John's is like any other neighborhood that you might come across in Canada. It's quiet, there's a lot of families, and people just go about their business like everyone else. But under the surface, it's a community that's hurting. It's a community that doesn't know how to trust the church. It's a community that doesn't know what gospel-centered community is. And this is why we're planting Kilbride Community Church, because this is an area in desperate need of gospel-centered community. Because as deep as the hurt is, Christ's mercy, grace, and compassion is deeper. Jesus is the answer to a question many are searching for, even if they don't know it. この町で多くのコリチスで生きている人々の友となりイエスの臨在を職場学校近隣に運ぶ多くのコミュニティが必要とされています Kathmandu is the capital city of Nepal. More than 3 million people live in this city. The majority of the people here belong to Hinduism. Also many Buddhists can be found here. Uh, the city is very diverse uh, culturally and uh, in religion. Uh, churches are also growing in the city, but the churches are very shallow in their understanding of the gospel and it's not deeply rooted to the theology. So we want to see many healthy churches planted here, which are gospel-centered in its essence and is deeply rooted to the biblical theology. Nakuru is the fourth largest city in Kenya with a population of 2.1 million people. Nakuru, God is anything that gives people success and riches. The prosperity gospel is rampant here in Nakuru. Hence the need of gospel-centered churches. Covenant Baptist Church was planted to meet this great need. But as one church, we cannot do everything. We need more churches in Nakuru to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are so many ways to get involved in church planting. If you attend an Acts 29 church, you are already part of bringing the gospel to lost people through the planting of evangelistic churches. We encourage you to talk to your pastor about ways to engage further. Perhaps the Lord is calling you to be generous with your time and finances by either giving to the ministry of church planting with Acts 29 or attending and serving a church plant with your skills and talents. 
Most of all, we ask that you would join us in praying that more people would hear the gospel because of the presence of healthy local churches as together we plant churches worldwide. So in the final verses that we're looking at today, uh, Paul tells us where he and Timothy had heard about the Colossians. Uh, it was from the guy that was likely their pastor. It says, you learn this from Epaphras, who our, our dearly loved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the spirit. I love this. Uh, the Colossians learned about the gospel likely from this guy, we don't know for sure, uh, from this, this guy, Epaphras, who then turned around and bragged to Paul and Timothy about the people at his church. And I just want to tell you, I do the same with you guys when I travel. In fact, I want to ask you to pray for me in the next two, three weeks, I'm going to be in five different cities. Um, and when I'm there, I'm going to brag on you. I'm gonna tell people about your love in the spirit. I'm gonna tell people about your faith in Jesus. I'm gonna tell people about your hope. I'm gonna tell people about your love for the saints. And so what I wanna do in closing today is I just wanna take a minute and to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world in all these different church plants. So would you uh, join me in prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for all uh, the work that you are doing. Uh, the work that we only know by reputation. We thank you for what you're doing in uh, the Quilombo people in, in Brazil. We thank you for what you are doing in Milton Keynes in the UK, what you're doing in Canada, what you're doing in Japan, what you're doing in Kathmandu, what you're doing in Kenya. And we just pray that you would transform people in these churches by the name of Jesus. We just pray that you would protect them from false teaching, just like Paul is trying to do here in Colossians. And, and we heard one of the brothers say on there, we just pray um, that they would have good relationships um, with other uh, believers in their communities, because in a lot of these communities, they don't have an option but to work with other Christians, because there are so few churches. And so we just pray that you would bear gospel fruit. We pray for uh, the Hunter family uh, who just planted in Flint last week, and we just pray that you would give tremendous fruit to their work there. We just pray that in here on the second week of their plant, the week after Easter, uh, that you would bring people. We, we just pray that you would even bring people to Christ today in that church. We just pray that you would create another Jesus revolution in our culture. Even if those of us who are old don't understand what we're looking at. Uh, when we just can't wrap our brains around how the, the gospel is spreading in a way that we just cannot <laughs> just even comprehend, we just pray that you would do that again. We just pray that you would continue to, to, to reach people through the local church. And we just pray that you would transform the communities based on these churches' presence there. We pray all this in Jesus' saving name. Amen.